Welcome to the Cowie Baptist Church podcast. To learn more about Cowie, including in our gathering times, visit us online at cowie.church. Enjoy the message. Amen and amen. Good morning, church. Happy New Year. What a great way to end uh, this year worshiping the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and to be reminded that while we don't know what tomorrow brings, we know who holds tomorrow and we fight not for victory, but we fight from victory. The battle has been won and we uh, just come and, and gather in worship to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Uh, as we do that this morning, I'm reminded that there's a, a great group of you that have been reading uh, through this year and today finishes our 2023 reading plan and some of you are like, hallelujah, <laughs> kind of journeyed through the entirety of scripture this year and uh, did that as a faith family and, and we're really excited about this new year. I, I want to just share a little bit about that as we start so that uh, once we get into the message that we can just lean in there. Uh, you'll see a, a QR code if you're running slides back there about midway through the message, but uh, you'll see a QR code for our 2023 uh, reading plan, uh, actually. It'll take me like all year. In June, I'll say 2024. I don't know. But yeah, for our 2024 reading plan, I want to tell you just a little bit about that uh, as we lean into this new year and as we seek uh, just to know uh, our Lord and Savior in, in, in the grace and, and mercy of who He is and just uh, really leaning in this year in His Word. You'll have an opportunity to do that in community. So if you use that code, it'll take you to a place that you can join uh, with the church in the YouVersion Bible app and be able to read that. Many of you did that through our Advent season. And so it's a five-day-a-week reading plan. So we're going to read the New Testament uh, together this year. And so five days a week, uh, you'll have uh, assigned readings and there's some paper copies of this available as well. And uh, some journals we're, we're, we'll have available as you leave. You can pick up um, one of these journals. And our hope is that we would engage in the Word of God uh, in a greater way this year than ever before. Um, you, you can literally read this plan in, in five minutes, uh, five days a week. Uh, but our hope is that you will not only read, uh, but that you will seek application from the Word of God that we might lean in. And we'll talk a little bit about that as we walk through the message today. But a great opportunity there to read in community. Uh, inside the, the reading plan paper copy, you'll find some memory verses throughout the year. So we've assigned uh, some memory verses. And as you've I kind of heard us talk about this thought of what it looks like to be a disciple, and we, we define that and wrap that up into what we've called kind of our dream disciple, and that's a daily abiding, regularly sharing, intentionally discipling force for good uh, at Cowie. And so we believe every believer uh, should be abiding daily in the Word of God, and out of an overflow of that, that we're regularly sharing Him, engaging in community with other believers. And, and so the the, the memory verses all kind of connect to that theme uh, throughout the year, and so we'll be sharing those in our weekly emails and, and all, the, all the places, right? But we want to encourage you to jump in uh, this year in the Word of God uh, together. Super grateful uh, just to be able to open the Word of God today. We're going to be in Matthew chapter number two. Now, as we think about, we've kind of been walking through this Christmas season, and uh, we're going to look at this post-Christmas message this morning. We're going to really look at a, a scene that took place 
uh, maybe in the, the first couple of years after the birth of Christ. And there's a, a tradition that I've, I've heard some people uh, kind of engaging in where they're leaving the manger uh, out throughout the year. Now, we've, we've done that before at our house. There's this thought that Christmas, uh, the, the, the birth of Christ is not something that we celebrate once a year, but something that uh, is just a core of our, of our faith and, and this, uh, this virgin birth and the fact that uh, God entered into the midst of brokenness on a rescue mission from glory uh, to redeem lost sinners and to, uh, to, to save his people from their sin. And what an incredible truth that that is. I don't know about you guys, but at my house, we love manger scenes. My bride is a manger scene girl, like everywhere we go. Uh, we're in Honduras, we're in wherever we're at. Our goal is to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, number one, and then to find a manger scene, right? Those are, those are like in order uh, of, of some of the things we've got to do. And so we're always looking uh, for unique manger scenes. We're always looking for just the right one to put up around the house. And uh, when, when our kids were small, we, and we still have this manger scene, we don't play with it as much as we used to, but it was a, a little uh, safe manger scene, little figurines made of plastic that you could play with, and we would get those down, and my kids would get those down, and they would mess with, with them and, and have little games out of them and just have a good time all year. And then about Christmas time, we'd begin to put out all these manger scenes throughout our house, which that's like all of our decorations. It's just manger scene after manger scene, right? So we're putting those out, and all of a sudden, one Christmas, we're looking in the manger scene, and, and there's something missing, right? Because the kids have been playing all year. And I know y'all think it's Jesus because that's the church answer. It's not Jesus, right? And so Jesus is there. So everything's good. But, but there's something missing. And so we're looking and we can't find uh, the missing piece. And then all of a sudden we come around the corner. And one of my favorite scenes of Christmas, uh, we find uh, this, this beautiful uh, manger scene that you will see My daughter had, had, had taken and, and improvised in that moment. We were missing Mary. We couldn't find her. And so uh, she had, had, had put her in there. She looked like a lot of teenagers I know. So I was like, this is cool, right? It's a good, uh, it's a good mix, right? And we're, uh, we, we, were, we were thinking, man, it's, it's fun. And so we had all kinds of uh, just fun times, kind of laughing and, and, and kidding about some of that. But, you know, when we, when we looked at this manger scene and we we look in it, and maybe you look at it this morning, and you look in, and see, and, and when you see it, you think, you know, there's something in the manger scene there that doesn't belong. And you, you think first, maybe it's this, you know, substitute Mary with the big hair. But it's really these wise men that you see over to the side. And so when we open the Word of God today, we're going to look at the story of the wise men, we're going to look at, at their encounter with Jesus. And, you know, we, we know a few things about them. One of the things we know from Scripture is that they were men. Um, the, the way that the, the wording describes them uh, lets us know that they were men. I, I saw where a Christian comedian once said that if they were women, the whole story uh, would have been different, right? They would have asked for directions early. They'd have got there on time. Uh, when they got to the manger, they would have helped Mary deliver and then had a casserole and some onesies, right, for, uh, for the thing so he could have them on the trip home, right? But, but what we know is that these wise men, that they're seeking uh, the king of the Jews, and we know that they have traveled. We're going to look at a little bit of that. And, and our hope is, in, the, in this target, right, that we want to lean into is that this year we would seek Jesus 
uh, no matter what the cost, that we would engage in, in pursuit uh, of him and, and that we uh, would, would be a people who would center our lives on worship to the king and obedience to his command. There's kind of a target statement if you're following along on the, the back of the, the little bulletin guide on the sermon notes or if you're uh, following along in the app, you'll see this statement, right? That wise men respond to King Jesus with worship and obedience. Wise men respond to King Jesus with worship and obedience. Let's, let's jump in uh, to the word of God in uh, Matthew's gospel, chapter number two, beginning in verse one. And the scripture says this, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now, when we open this passage, we're going to see a tension uh, in the very first verses. We're going to see the tension that is going to be in the midst of this story. And in the first two verses, we're going to see that. Now, we see that, uh, that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, and so we're introduced to the place of his birth. And we know uh, this is about six miles south of Jerusalem, and this marks Jesus as being born from the tribe of Judah, being born uh, in the city of David. And so there's so much prophecy uh, around this, and, and it gives us a... an understanding of some of the context that that is going on in this time. The scripture says that it's in the days of Herod the king. Now, Herod uh, the king uh, was not a a Jew. He uh, was an Edomian and he was a, uh, 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 the Romans had really made him king of Judah in uh, long about maybe 40 BC. And so he's been made uh, king of Judah, and he would call himself, and he was called uh, king of the Jews, and, and people would call uh, Herod, Herod the Great, and we would know things about him from history, things that he would be known for, such as the, uh, this, this extravagant second, second temple uh, that was built, the architecture that was around, all the, the buildings and the things that he would do. It's been said that uh, that he was really the only ruler of Palestine who ever succeeded in keeping peace and bringing order into disorder. He had done all these great things. But what we understand about this guy is that everything he did was for his own glory. Everything that he did was to further his own kingdom. He was all about Herod and he was all about his kingdom. And, and what we understand about him is that he was ruthless and he was a tyrant. He, he was somebody that, that was a wreck waiting to happen, right? We would read, uh, and, and it's, it's interesting times that they were in, right? We would read that he uh, would uh, kill three of his sons, that he would have three of his sons murdered, that he would have, that, that he would kill his favorite wife. <laughs> That's interesting. Always. Anytime you got plural in that, it's a mess, right? And so anybody, what we know about this guy is anybody that threatened his status, anybody that threatened his rule, anybody that threatened his position, uh, we understand that, that he would do anything and go to great lengths to destroy them. He would go to great lengths to protect his authority and his rule and his reign. Uh, we would read later in this chapter of Scripture that he would order the mass slaughter uh, of all the male uh, children, uh, all these male infants, right, that are in Bethlehem, and all those things were to protect his throne. Now, we see in, in contrast here some people that are coming. Now, the Bible tells us that these magi, that they came from the east. Now, what we're going to understand as we read this today is that most of our Christmas carols didn't think and didn't read really close as they were reading, right? We, uh, we hear those things, we three kings from Orion, all right? Well, it doesn't say anything about there being 
three kings. Uh, first of all, we, we don't see that there was three. We do see that there were plural. And we know and we'll see at the end of uh, the passage that we're going to read today that they brought three gifts. We'll talk about those a little bit, but we uh, understand that this could have been two. It was at least two. It may have been an entourage. It may have been a great uh, group of them. And, and what we understand is, is not so much uh, clearly about where they came from. Now, we know that in, in other, now we sing things like the first Noel, right? We sing that and, and we see uh, the, the first Noel has a, a verse in it that says, they looked up and saw a star shining in the east beyond them far. Uh, but what we understand is that song's wrong too, that they were in the east, okay? So, so first of all, they weren't in the manger. So if you're leaving your manger out, and then maybe you want to put them on the other side of the house and they're traveling, or maybe you want to put the rest of the manger up and you just leave them out uh, for a conversation piece all year, right? But it says that they were in uh, a house when they came uh, to see Jesus. And so we understand that this star uh, was shining in the West. And so if they're in Babylon or Persia or wherever they're at, that in order for them uh, to, uh, to travel and to get there, we want them headed west, not east. And so uh, some interesting things there. But what we understand is that they saw a star and there was something so significant about this star. There was something so significant about this moment that they, uh, that with this knowledge that they had, they, they obviously had some knowledge uh, about the king of the Jews. They obviously had some knowledge about this coming of the king that in combination with seeing this star, that it caused them uh, to seek and, and to, to move and to pursue uh, this, this moment where they could see this newborn king. Now, we uh, personally, I believe that they came from Babylon. I don't have a, a, a basis to kind of just rest on that, uh, but I believe they came from there. We would read uh, in Daniel about the Magi that were there, these people that were uh, in the, the high-ranking officials in Babylon, and so we know that, that Judah was taken into captivity, and so I believe that, uh, that they had impacted uh, people there, and that these wise men had uh, been in contact with Jews that had had passed along the truths of the Word of God, and maybe uh, Daniel, who was elevated in the the Babylonian Empire, had influenced all this. Uh, in Daniel chapter two, we would read that there would be that even in the midst like of the the mess of Babylon, even in the mess of all the things that were going on, uh, Daniel would would speak of the Messiah, and he would speak of this kingdom uh, that would come, and he would say that God is going to set up a kingdom that will never pass away. And so Daniel would point to this time where the kingdom of God would cover all the earth. And so many people would say, hey, they were looking for this time. We would read in Numbers 24 uh, of this prophecy of, uh, that would point to the star. We, maybe they had those kind of things. What we, what we know is very little, right? But we understand that God uh, had, had done something incredible in, in this star, right? And he had done something uh, to reveal himself to them. And what we're going to see, many people would say that these, these magi, that they were astrologers, that they would be looking to the stars. And what we're going to see is that God meets them exactly where they are at. Now, just to give you the, the heads up of where we're going, right? God meets them where they're at. He reveals himself to them in the scriptures. And from the scriptures, they find their way, right? And, and God reveals to them the King of kings and Lord of lords. And in Jeremiah Chapter 29, the scripture says, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all 
of your heart. Now, now what we understand is that these wise men, they are seeking and they are looking for King Jesus, but they are seeking because they were sought. God, in his grace and in his mercy, had revealed uh, himself through this star. He'd revealed himself. And what we understand is that we uh, have the word of God where God has chosen to reveal himself to us. And he will meet us where we're at, take us to the scriptures. Man, he starts in all kinds of places. In this story, right, we see uh, that these wise men, they make a journey. And this journey is like 800 miles, maybe more, eight, eight or 900 miles. And they get uh, to where they thought the king would be. And it would make sense to us to think, like, where are you going to find him? In Jerusalem, right? Where else would you find the king? And probably in the palace. And, and so they're expecting when they get there th- this, this big welcome. They're going to expect that, that maybe everybody's going to be excited and everybody's going to be pointing them to this newborn king because this is a big deal. So they go to the obvious place. And when they get there, they say, where is he who has been born king of the Jews. Now, this is, again, months after the birth of, birth of Christ, and, and they, they get there. You know, some people get hung up on, like, what the star was, and there's, like, National Geographic has a new episode every year about somewhere and how it all intersects. But I, I love the thought that it was just the glory of God, the Shekinah glory of God, that he, uh, that there was just this supernatural moment uh, where they looked and saw uh, this incredible star, this incredible light that they had never seen before and, and, and began uh, to pursue and see where it led, right? So this, this story, not about a star, not about wise men, but about the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And what we see in this story is that the King of Kings comes on the scene and there is really only room for one king. There's really only room for one king in any of our lives. In verse three, the scripture says that when Carried the king heard this, that he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Now, some of you have heard a statement before that says, now it's not like this at my house. I'm blessed with an amazing bride and, and uh, an incredible gift in all those things. But you've heard the saying that when mama ain't happy, Nobody happy, right? And so that's what I think we're seeing here with Herod. Herod is troubled, and that word for troubled, it's this this great mental distress. It's this great distress that he uh, is experiencing. He is disturbed by this moment, and and all Jerusalem is with him, right? All Jerusalem is is disturbed as well. And and what they know is this guy's a tyrant, and if he's disturbed, they better be disturbed because nobody, if his favorite wife and three sons are not safe, nobody is safe in his side. And so here is Herod who is king, and we see Herod respond to King Jesus with anger. And we see that in our lives, right? Some people respond to Jesus. There, there's a lot of different ways that we can respond to Jesus. And one of those ways, right, some people respond to Jesus with anger. Because here's the thing we are king. When we respond to Jesus, when we respond because we value what we desire. We value the throne that we're reigning on. And, and for Herod, he was a threat, right? Jesus was a threat to him. He, he was a threat and he viewed him as someone that this is the, the one who is born king of the Jews. And so Herod uh, views him as a threat. And I want you to understand that, that King Jesus is a threat to every one of our thrones. And in order to worship and follow the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, there is only room for one on the throne and his name is Jesus. But here's what we see. Herod was worried much more about saving his position and his, his authority than he was surrendering to the king. Verse four, he gathers all the chief priests and the scribes of the people and inquires of them where the Messiah was to be born. And they said to him in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. 
And we see this quote from Micah. It says this, And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now, he brings in the smart people, right? He brings in the theologians. He brings in the people that would know the answer to this. So, so Herod hears this news, and he knows who to ask. He knows the people that are going to know the scriptures. And what we see in this passage is they didn't have to Google. They weren't trying to, to man, let me think about where the king of the Jews is supposed to be born. There wasn't that kind of moment, right? What, what they would do is immediately quote Micah 5.2. They, they knew this in their mind. They had it. And here's this this passage that's written 700 years before, and they knew where he would be. And, and this part grips my heart that these religious people, they knew where Jesus would be. They knew the prophecies that were there, but these religious leaders did nothing with what they knew. See, they respond with apathy. We, we see some people do that, right? Some people respond in anger because they're protecting their throne, they're protecting their position, and, and everybody loves baby Jesus in the manger, right? But what we understand is that this baby is king and Lord, and he is Lord of all, or he is not Lord at all. And, and we see people respond in anger. I can remember when uh, I was, was going my own way, right? And I, was, I can remember being uh, at an event called Belshare, and I was kind of, you know, following the things of the world and, and just in a sinful stayed and, and I can remember one night and, and it, it penetrated my heart for years, but in that moment, uh, I didn't respond in a good way, but I can remember being there and I can remember being walking and there was a lady that was there that handed me a, a tract, a gospel tract. And she just looked at me and my friends that were all just pursuing this sinful lifestyle and, and going all the wrong way. And she handed me this little tract and she said, there's a better way. And I remember taking that track and looking at it. And I just crunched it up like that. And I just dropped it, right? Because in that moment, see, I was responding. And I was responding because in order for Jesus to be Lord, I could no longer be Lord. And, and I was in charge. It was my way. Was, there may be a better way, but it was my way that I was concerned with, right? Some people respond in anger. Later in my life, you know, I can look back on those moments, right? And I'm like, wow, man, the, the grace of God. And I can almost hear the echo of that lady just saying, there's a better way. Now, she would have thought, and by the way, when you go out and share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you have no idea what the Holy Spirit will do with your witness. You have no idea how God will use those moments. And I could hear that echo through the years. I could hear that echo when I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ, right? That there is a better way. And his name is Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Later in my life, I, I, I met my wife and, you know, I would call myself a Christian. I said, you know, hey, I I, I was, you know, when I was young, I, I repeated a prayer after somebody and everything's good. You know, I'm a believer. I'm, I'm, I'm a follower of Christ. That's what I would say. Like, but there was nothing about my life that, that pointed to Jesus. There was nothing about my life that had ever changed. There was nothing uh, about my life that was any different. And I want you to understand that when the king is on the throne, everything is different. Your life is changed. And so there was years of my life that I might say, Jesus is Lord. And I might confess those things. But my wife would say, hey, uh, you know, we went through this kind of season where she was following Jesus. And she was like, hey, we want to go to church on next Sunday night when they're having that prayer thing. And I'd be like, you know, we went like already this month. You know, like how much do you want to go? 
And, and, and she'd say, you know, hey, I, I really like, I think we're supposed to serve and I want to serve and I want to be part of, of this puppet and drama ministry and I want to do all these kind of things. And here I was, I would respond with apathy because here's the thing, I was comfortable at where I was at. I was comfortable in the place that I was at. And some people respond to Jesus with apathy because comfort is king. And I said, you know what? My life is more, uh, I, I'm in charge still. And, and really, here's the, the thing. There, there's no middle ground when it comes to Jesus. Either you are for him or you are against him. Either you are saved by the grace of God or you are enemies of God. Whether you are angry or whether you are apathetic, apart from Christ, you are doomed. And this is where I was. Comfort was king. And these religious people, that's where they were. Five or six miles from Jesus. Five or six miles from the one born king of the Jews. And they knew in their head all these things about him, but they missed it. They missed the Messiah in those moments. And there I was, right in my life, knowing all these things about Jesus. I was in church. Like, like when you're dating a preacher's daughter, that's all you can do, right? You got to go to church. That's how you go in. That was my goal, right? I'm and so I would go to church, but my head knew things about Jesus. I heard things about Jesus, but my life had never been changed by Jesus. And I had no relationship with Jesus and no desire to be in his presence, no love, no affection, no worship, none of those things. And I responded with apathy. I had a head knowledge, but a heart that was empty. And I'm, I'm convinced that there are people all over this world that are like me, that may gather in churches and they may say, you know what, I know all these things about Jesus, but they have never surrendered to Jesus as Lord and they have no relationship with him. These are the religious people in that moment. Now, Herod, he's got some motives. Verse seven, scripture says that he secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him. Now, Herod was an evil, wicked man, right? And he desired, right? And what we understand is that Herod, just like others that are in the midst of our world, uh, that are coming against the cause of Christ, that there's an enemy that is doing everything that he can to, to destroy the seed of the woman. We see it from the very uh, beginning, from the fall in the garden, that Satan has been uh, doing everything he can to destroy the seed of the woman that had been prophesied and promised in Genesis 3.15 that would crush the head of the serpent. But as we sung this morning, right, victory has been won, right? There were moments uh, that, that he would have looked and thought, hey, I, I'm going to destroy. And, and so through Herod, he says, I'm going to destroy all these young babies. I'm going to destroy the seed of the woman. When he would look and Jesus was on that cross, he would say, finally, victory has been won. But I want you to know that three days later, Jesus rose victoriously conquering death, hell, and the grave, and the battle is over. There is no more fight, right? Amen. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God, the one that was slain before the foundation of the world, the one that last week we were reminded that God in the fullness of time sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, that he might redeem those who are under the law. And I want to remind you, as we read this morning, if you were finishing this year in Revelation chapter 22 and chapter 23, right, there is a day coming that Jesus 
is going to return and rule and reign and make all things new. And we worship knowing that the promises of God are true. And there are people that are out and they would love nothing more than to destroy the witness, than destroy uh, the, the, the testimony uh, that Jesus has come. And so here's Herod, and he's put on a front, right? He's put on this, this, this picture, and he says, hey, I, I, I want to see the king too. Hey, I want to, listen, if you'll come and let me know where he is, I want to worship him, right? I want to I do that. I, I want to worship him. I want to, but his goal, right, was to gain his power, his agenda, and to destroy the one who had come. But the king of kings and the Lord of lords, he reigns victorious. Even in those moments, these wise men, right? They had much less understanding than uh, than the scribes and the Pharisees. They didn't understand uh, these chief priests that were there. They didn't uh, they didn't understand near what they did about this this moment. But what we understand is what they know. They do something with, and that, that'd be good for us to remember. Like what we know. And it's our hope that as we read the word of God, that we read not just for information, but for transformation, that we read to apply the word of God. Wise men, they seek Jesus through his word. This is what, this is what God did, right? These wise men, they, they began, he met them exactly where they were at. They began to follow uh, this star and, and they, uh, he took them to the word of God, right? The star only got them so far. He took them to the word of God and then they, they, they took what they knew and they applied it, right? Wise men seek application from the word of God. And here's what we know. These, these, these wise men go. They're obedient. They, they walk, verse 9 and 10. And by the way, uh, just as a, a free wise men seek Jesus together, they go together. And after hearing the king, verse 9, they went their way, and the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. The way Matthew words this, it is exponential joy. It is unspeakable joy. It is joy that is not based on their circumstances. It is not joy that, that comes and goes. Can I remind you as we walk into this year and as we think about just the worship that we, uh, we were led into, when we think about this battle that's already won, we don't know what comes our way. There's a difference between joy and happiness. There's a difference uh, in those things. We can experience difficulties. We can experience trials. We can go through those things. But when we have seen the king, there is a joy that is overwhelming. There's a joy that is unspeakable. There's a joy that is great. Like, like imagine this morning if you inherited uh, $10 million from some rich family member you didn't even know that was there and you're on the way to go and, and get that money and on the way there, your car breaks down. You're not going to pull off on the side of the road and curse God and, and be and, and you know shake your fist and why, why, why. What you're going to do is you're going to understand that, hey, this is just one of the things that comes along with life because you hardly even notice the moments. And what we read in the scripture that even the hard things that we go through, the Bible would tell us that this momentary light affliction, right, that it's working a far exceeding weight of glory in the eternal. And so we don't lose heart, right? We understand that, that what we are walking through is nothing compared to what God God has for us, nothing compared to what we have been given. And so these wise men, they are rejoicing exceedingly because they have seen the king. And when we have seen the king, right, our ability to be joyful, our ability to walk with joy, even in the midst of hardship, it is evidence in our belief and trust in the word of God and the promises of God that we hold and know that are true. Verse 11, after coming into the house, 
They saw the child with Mary's mother and they fell to the ground and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And so some people, right, they respond to Jesus with anger because they are on the throne, because it is their way, because they desire their kingdom and their rule and their reign. Some respond to Jesus with apathy. Some just say, you know what, I don't care. I'm indifferent to the things that are going on. The religious leaders were like that. But I want you to know that there are some people that will respond to King Jesus with awe with this reverent worship, with this understanding that they have seen the king, that they have been, that they have encountered the one who is the Messiah, right? And, and we see them fall to the ground. We see them, them worship. We see them with this response, right, of their treasures, with this response of just awe and reverence because Jesus is king and, and their posture is to worship. Their posture is to lift high the one who is worthy of all of their praise. Their response to the king is worship. And that is our response, right, to the king of kings and lord of lords who in, his, in, in God's grace and his mercy, right, has revealed himself to us through creation, right? Romans 1 would tell us that, that creation uh, would, would be revealing the greatness of our God, that, that no one is without excuse. We would understand that God has given us uh, his word and has chosen to reveal himself to us uh, through the revelation of his word. We have heard the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We, we respond to that in worship. And what we see in this passage is that they presented him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, right? They're so overwhelmed with gratitude that, that they present their treasures. Like what once was important to them, what once was probably what they were pursuing, this gold and this frankincense, these things that were there, all of a sudden those things became of, of less importance. All of a sudden those things, uh, you know, that the song says, the things of this world grow strangely dim in light of his glory and grace. These gifts, we don't have time to lean into them much, but I want to highlight three things. The gold that was fit for a king. And what we would understand is they're going to be traveling uh, to Egypt. And we're going to understand that the currency of Egypt is gold. And so these gifts that these wise men give is going to fund uh, this young family. And we know by their sacrifice that they had given that they were poor, right? We understand those things uh, about this moment. And so this, this worship uh, to them provides for them gold fit for uh, a king, frankincense, which uh, reminds us of the deity of Christ. And in the Old Testament and in this time, they would worship the Lord by burning incense. And there was this sweet aroma uh, that when it was burned would go up. And it was this sweet uh, picture of this worship that was going up uh, to the nostrils of God, this symbol of worship. And we understand that frankincense was to be used in the worship of God alone. So we see gold and we see frankincense. We see the, the kingship. We see his deity. And then myrrh, we see the sacrificial death. And it indicates that Jesus came uh, on a mission that was headed to the cross where he would die a substitutional sacrificial death death for us. And the Bible tells us that myrrh, right? What we would understand about myrrh is that it was used to embalm the dead. And so if you're here this morning and you've never trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior, for those who, who are not following Jesus Christ, maybe you've been been the throne, been on the throne of your own life. Maybe you've been apathetic. Maybe you've been angry because you say, you know what? I don't want to give up my sin. I don't want to give up those things. I want to invite you as we look at this familiar story of the wise men to see more than anything else that God sent forth his son to live a perfect life, a, a life that we could not live, that he stepped into the very brokenness of this world and he lived a life without sin. He lived a life that we could not live, a life of perfect obedience to God. So that, right, that even though he had no sin, 
He died for our sins. He took on all of our sin, all of our shame. He was buried and his body would have been prepared with myrrh. Placed in a borrowed tomb, but thanks be to God, he didn't stay there long. That he rose from the grave with victory over sin and death. And with the promise that everyone who believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. The king has come to die a sinner's death. To redeem that which was lost. And as we respond in worship and surrender, that if we'll lay down our pride, if we'll lay down our ways, we bow before him and acknowledge him as king and Lord. We confess our sin, our need for a savior. As we believe and trust in him, we are reconciled to God, rescued from our sin and redeemed forever. It's my hope today. You know, as we read... We'll read the last verses. This morning it says, And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left their own country, left for their own country by another way. God met them right where they were at. These astrologers look into the stars. He met them right where they were at. Led them to the scriptures. And the scriptures took them to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It's my hope that God is meeting some of you right where you are at this morning. And that in the power of his spirit, he is allowing you to see his glory and his grace. These wise men, they encountered the Messiah and they left different than they came. And it's my hope that we would do the same. That we would encounter the king of kings and that we would respond in worship. Joyful worship. And really, what is it that we offer the king? They, they offered treasures. And we offer everything. I want to pray for us. and We're going to worship together in just response to his grace and his goodness. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never trusted in Jesus. Maybe you recognize it this morning. But in God's grace, he is meeting you right where you're at. You've been searching for satisfaction and fulfillment in all kinds of different places, coming up empty. But in his grace, you are here this morning. And maybe you're here and you say, you know what, I, I want to respond in worship. I want to respond in surrender to the King of kings and Lord of lords, to confess that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. You know, on December 27th of 2002, a young man who had responded in anger and crumpled up a, a tract that had been so graciously given, threw it on the ground, could hear the echoes of a, of a witness that said there is a better way. December 27th of 2002, a young man who had been apathetic to the things of God, who could care less about anything about him. December 27th, 2002, God met me right where I was at. 
And through his word, I encountered the Savior. And that day, I responded in the only way that I knew how. I just fell on my face before a holy God. I said, Lord, you know who I am? I couldn't believe that he could love me anyway. But I realized that his mercy and his grace was greater than all of my sin. And on that day, I fell on my knees before a holy God and I said, Lord, I surrender. All I have is yours, God, if you can use me. I'm yours, forgive me, save me. I want you to know that day, my life changed forever. And I responded, the only way I knew how, and that's just worship. that's you today I pray you'll respond in that way that as we sing you might come and, and kneel in this altar and that you might just come before God with surrender just believing and trusting in the finished work of the cross he'll save you he'll change you he'll give you the gift of his Holy Spirit to lead you and guide you all of his grace all of his mercy if you're a believer here this morning, I pray that our lives would be about worship. I pray that our response to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords would be that we've heard the good news and now we go and tell that God would take and use the people that are gathered here this morning, those that are listening online, God, that we would have a message of hope you would use us to meet people wherever they're at in restaurants and our families and our workplaces God remind us this morning of the power of your word God you use all things Lord you've got everything that you've created exists for your glory God including us God you'll use all kind of things to meet people where they're at but Lord help us remember God to take them to the scriptures and to point him to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. May your word accomplish what you've sent it forth to do this morning, this year. God, we love you. And we ask, Lord, for you to work in our lives in a way only you can. Lord, that we might end this year with worship to you, with surrender. Lord, that nothing might be on the throne of our lives but you. Help us to lay down all those things, Lord, that that our own idols, that our own things we're pursuing. Like the wise men, Lord, the, the treasures that they brought. Lord, may everything grow dim in light of who you are, in light of your grace in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand in worship this morning to the King of Kings?